This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 22, Ziggy Schmidt. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with renowned soccer head coach Ziggy Schmid. I think that's always one of my biggest thrills is when you see somebody uh, as they improve, as they grow, as they become better, as they add more things to their game. I mean, that that gets me that gets me excited, and that's uh, that that keeps me motivated. So it is a privilege. I mean, I, I pinch myself every day that I'm making a living uh, in the sport that I love. Beginning with his AYSO experience through college and professional coaching ranks, Schmidt shares his incredible insights on coaching including handling the pressures to win, helping players improve, scouting players, and what lessons he's learned throughout his coaching career. Ziggy, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Ziggy Schmid was born in Germany and moved to California with his family when he was four years old. Each summer they visited Germany where he played soccer and watched professional club teams play. In 1964, Ziggy played on the inaugural AYSO team. He played college soccer at UCLA, where he was a starter in the midfield all four years. In 1980, he became the head coach at UCLA, where he spent 19 seasons winning three national championships and being named NCAA Coach of the Year in 1997. In 2004, he was inducted into the UCLA Hall of Fame. In 1999, Ziggy left UCLA to take over as head coach of the Los Angeles Galaxy. He turned the team around, taking them to the MLS Cup, earning the MLS Coach of the Year Award. In 2002, the LA Galaxy won the MLS Cup. From 2006 to 2008, he coached the Columbus Crew, where he earned his 100th MLS victory, his second MLS Cup victory, and his second MLS Coach of the Year Award. In 2009, he began coaching the new expansion franchise, the Seattle Sounders FC, where he still coaches today. And I think um, the Sounders have the best attendance in MLS, is that right? That is correct. He now has the most wins of any coach in MLS history. In addition to his collegiate and professional coaching, Ziggy was an assistant coach for the U.S. national team and a head coach for the U.S. under-20 team. He and his wife, Valerie, have four children. One of Ziggy's sons, Kurt, is currently an assistant coach for the Seattle Sounders FC. Ziggy, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, let's start off by talking about your AYSO experience. <clears throat> it's a topic I think everybody's interested in. What made you join AYSO and play in the very first season of that organization? Well, it was, it was unique. I mean, everybody's story is a little bit different. Uh, but uh, uh, my father was an acquaintance and friends with Hans Stierle. Uh Hans Stierle, as the founder of AYSO, one of the original guys there, uh, told my father that they were starting... Uh, this soccer program down in Torrance, and uh, I hadn't played on an organized team since we had moved from more the inner city of L.A. out to Torrance. So from the time I was uh, eight until uh, until AYSO started at eleven, I hadn't played on any organized teams or anything. So so my father took me down there for remember going through the tryouts, and uh, then I got 
uh, picked for a team, and uh, I mean it was fantastic because uh, AWSO was very at an infant stage, and uh, uh, you know the irony of it is there's there's like three four of us who were in that same boat that year that uh, we're we're still in contact with each other today. You know they're some of my best friends, and and uh, it was a fantastic experience. You know, uh, Positive Coaching Alliance has had a national partnership with AYSO Soccer for some time, and one of the things I love is that their mission statement actually includes uh, positive coaching as one of their uh, one of their goals. What was your playing experience like that year? Playing experience was tremendous. I mean, we started off with one coach, uh, a guy by the name of Helmut Pizek, who was a Hungarian gentleman who actually also played for the U.S. national team. Uh, he scored two goals against Mexico, and uh, his commitments to playing for the U.S. national team and his club side prevented him from coaching. So our coach became uh, George K., uh, who we all just called Scotty, and uh, who's a member of the AYSO Hall of Fame. And, and he, his son was on the team, Danny, but uh, Scotty was just uh, such a huge influence in my life. You know, I mean, the things he was very meticulous about what he wanted us to do in training. He had such a great passion and love for the game which he passed on to us, and uh, uh, he, w- he was just great with me. Uh, you know, I, I had a father who was very uh, demanding and driven, and uh, Scotty would always, uh, would always make sure that that pressure was something that I didn't feel and that I would enjoy the game and enjoy the experience. And, uh, you know, he was, he's one of the very big influences in my life. How, how does that play out when you're coaching now, when you've coached at the college level, very high pressure, and at the professional level now, in terms of your role as coach, um, helping players deal with the pressure they feel? Well, you're, you're always, you know, I, I think players always need to know that as a coach you're passionate and that you care. Uh, you know, that you have a passion for what you're doing, that you're committed to what you're doing, uh, but that you also care, that you care about yourself, you care about your team, but you care about them. Uh, and the putting things in perspective of, of what uh, how this is going to help them, and that's something I've always tried to maintain. And uh, and just as Scotty taught me in, in AYSO, uh, you know, hey, th- these are things you can do to make your game better, and this is how when you become a better player, then you're going to enjoy things more, uh, and, so th- and you're doing this for you. And, and I try to pass that on to players even now, and a lot of it is just little technical areas. But more so than anything, I knew he cared. I try to let my players know that they care. Uh, you know that I care, and uh, as a result of that, that that we're in this together. That the best, the better they become as individuals, the better we become as a team. Uh, so the individual goals and the team goals are interrelated. You know, one of the tools that Positive Coaching Alliance, <clears throat> as part of the Responsible Sports Program, encourages coaches to use is a mistake ritual, so ki- so kids can recover quickly from mistakes. Um, do you do anything like that? Is there a, a, do you have any kind of routine when players make mistakes? Yeah, we talk about that all the time, and the ability to refocus is the thing that uh, identifies uh, you know good athletes in all sports. Whether it's the guy who strikes out and then has to come up and hit a home run the next time up, it's it's the goalkeeper that maybe lets a ball slip in, but then you got to come in with a big save on the next occasion. And, uh, and so we just have a thing with, I talk to my team, I always talk to them about the next play. You know, and it was something I learned from Bora Milutinovic when I was with the uh, U.S. national team, and it was his big mantra was the next play. What's the most important thing? 
He said the next play. It doesn't matter what's just happened. The next play is the most important thing now. And that ability to refocus and to, and to understand that, okay, this has happened. Let it go. Don't put it in your backpack. Don't carry it around with you for the rest of the 90 minutes on the field. Uh, just get on to the next play. And, and it's like a movie. You know, you want to constantly stay focused. You want to stay in tune so you catch the next scene. And if you fall asleep for three minutes, it takes you a while to to get back into the flow of what's going on. So uh, we definitely have a mantra about, you know, the next play, get on to the next play, and that's something we try and pass on to our players. How do you deal with the pressure that you feel, uh, or whether you feel or not, the pressure that, that professional coaches have? Um, Herm Edwards once told me there's only two kinds of coaches, those who um, have been fired and those who will be fired. Um, and, you know, unlike youth coaches, AYSO, for example, where if your team doesn't win a lot of games, you, you, you're not going to lose your, your job necessarily. How do you deal with the pressure of having to produce victories? Uh, you know, everybody deals with it in a different way. I mean, uh, ironically, I was talking to a player today, and, and uh, he's a reserve player, and one of the things we talked about, we said, you know, I know sometimes when you're a reserve player, you sit there and say, well, you know, I got no chance. Coach has already made up his mind. Doesn't matter what I do. He's already picked his team. He's got his favorites. And, you know, I told him, look, I said, my only favorite is the guy who's going to help our team play well and help us win, you know, because otherwise I'm not going to be here standing to you and talking to you. And so, yeah, that, the, I wouldn't call it a threat, but the pressure of realizing that, yeah, at some point we're all going to get fired is certainly always exists. And, and sometimes for some people that becomes a burden, for me it becomes a motivation. Uh, and so, you know, I view everything as every situation you get presented has an opportunity in it. You just got to look for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, so for me the pressure of having to win games really is an opportunity. It means that, you know, I want to do my best job every day because you don't want to lose a day in that process uh, because you don't know necessarily when the end is going to come. Uh, so, but again, it, I don't view it as pressure. I view it as an opportunity, and uh, and that's something I try and pass on to the players as well. So each day you just try and do uh, do your job and do your job well, and uh, you have your plan and you have your plan over the week and you have your plan over the whole season, and you try and uh, stay on on track so that you continue to move forward. You know, Billy Jean King, King once said, uh, "Pressure is a privilege." That. <clears throat> You know, getting to perform either as a athlete or as a coach, and people are actually paying money to see you. Um, that's actually a privilege. Most people don't get that. No, definitely agreed. I mean, and 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 at the end, all the athletes are you know uh, entertainers. You know, because they do have people coming to uh, pay to watch them play, and and uh, and all all great players. You know, they want to entertain. They want to hear that applause. They want to hear that the oohs and ahs and the reaction of the crowd. And, uh, and it's something that, uh, you know, that gets your adrenaline going. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it is a privilege. Uh, you know, you're blessed with, with abilities, uh, you know, to execute and to perform uh, in your particular sport, this being the sport of soccer, to be able to, to do the things that are necessary, whether it's the dribbling moves, the great defending, whether it's hitting great goals, making fantastic passes. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I feel blessed as a coach being able to uh, have an influence on people and, and being able to, uh, 
get players to become better. You know, I think that's always one of my biggest thrills is when you see somebody uh, as they improve, as they grow, as they become better, as they add more things to their game. I mean, that that gets me that gets me excited, and that's uh, that that keeps me motivated. So it is a privilege. I mean, I, I pinch myself every day that I'm making a living uh, in the sport that I love. That's great. I, I think maybe your first uh, coaching experience was with AYSO, and then you coached at Bishop Montgomery High School um, before you went to UCLA. Can you talk a little bit about your evolution as a coach from starting with youth so- soccer and then high school and college, et cetera? Sure. Uh, you know, my brother is 10 years younger than I, and so in those days you have to be seven years old to start playing AYSO, but uh, you could play at six if, uh, if somebody volunteered. Uh, so unbeknownst to myself, my father uh, had volunteered to become a referee, and uh, I had volunteered to help coach, so I became an assistant coach on my brother's team uh, so he could play when he was six. So I was already doing that at 16 uh, and, and just really enjoyed the experience. I mean, maybe because I've been captain of teams that I played on for a lot of years, and as one of my best friends says, is also a coach now, he goes, you were always bossing us around. <laughs> I guess it maybe came naturally a little bit, but uh, uh, so that's how, we, yeah, that's how we each got sort of involved. My father got involved for, in refereeing and was uh, AYSO, uh, you know, chief referee in, in, in the region and things like that, so he was very involved as well because of that, but uh, it, it was a great experience, you know, again, because, uh, you know, coaching... Coaching children is different sometimes. You know, it's great to have children before you coach children, so you have a little bit idea of child psychology involved. You know, I was fairly close to my brother, so being 10 years older than him, I had a little bit of experience maybe dealing with kids, uh, so that helped me. But, uh, again, it was the main thing of just being positive, and then coaching at Bishop Montgomery was a little bit of the same because we were starting a program there, and so we got a lot of the cast-offs who – didn't make it in the other sports, and all of a sudden, oh, here's a sport that maybe I can make this varsity team in, and I can be on a team. And we ended up winning a league. But uh, it was myself and Marine Kano, one of my one of my friends and teammates from one of those original four teams. Uh, you know, we were the two head coaches, and for us, it was all about you know you know being positive with the guys, getting the guys to uh, to realize what they can do, and yeah, we'll work on what we can't do. But when we get out there and play, we're going to concentrate on what we can do. And, uh, and that's been a philosophy that we've tried to maintain all the way through. You know, there's, there's actually research that shows that um, you get different brainwave activity in people if you focus on their limitations versus if you focus on their, their strengths. Um, and so focusing on somebody's strengths, you get better brainwave activity. It seems like you just kind of intuitively knew that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it was intuitive or, or, you know, everybody has a different story of how they grew up and how they were raised and, and so forth, and mine is is different as well. But I, I had a very positive role model in my mother who always believed in following your dreams, and she was the one who probably supported my soccer thing, even though she never got out to games uh, because of her, her work schedule. But she's the one who's, who really supported my coaching she saw how much I enjoyed it and really encouraged me uh, in that regard. And uh, you know, you know, like you said, when you're when you're dealing with players, uh, a coach early on taught me uh, every player has something that they enjoy doing. So whatever you're trying to teach them, put it in that perspective. 
So if a player enjoys dribbling, then you can explain to them how well you can dribble more if you work harder and you get the ball more. You know, and if you help us play defense, we'll get the ball back, so you'll get to do what you really like doing, dribbling more. Or if a guy likes shooting, you know, well, if you, you know, if you pass the ball to your teammate, then they'll be able to pass it back to you in a position where you can do what you want to do, which is shoot. So he always said, you know, relate everything. Everybody has something they love to do and relate everything to that. The other thing I learned early on was uh, from, from another coach was to uh, work, uh, work on your strengths sometimes. Everybody looks at players and they say, okay, let's, let's work on what we're not so good at. And, yeah, we need to do that to become better. But we also need to take an area that we're pretty good at and make ourselves outstanding in that area. So if, you, if you're a good passer of the ball, you know, how about thinking about becoming a great passer of the ball? You know, if you're a pretty good dribbler, how about becoming a great dribbler? And, and motivating players to work on something they're already pretty good at is a lot easier. And then when they see the results of taking an area that's pretty good and making it great, then you, say, then you can go to them and say, let's work on an area that we're not so good at and make it at least average. You know, and they go, okay, yeah, if I can make this great, I can make this average. And, and that's been an approach that I've always tried to use from youth soccer through college and even into the pros, and, uh, and it's worked fairly well. Well, I can see uh, just from the things you said already that it's not an accident you've been so successful as a coach. And I think the, you know, the coaches and parents and athletes who are going to be listening to this are going to really benefit from this. Um, you know, you had a whole bunch of players at UCLA, uh, I think 15 or more, that were later selected to play in the U.S. national team. What did you look for in players that you were recruiting to UCLA? Well, you know, it's the easy way would always be to just look at the U.S. youth national team roster and say, well, let me go get this guy, this guy, and this guy. You know, and I remember once talking to a coach, and he was recruiting a goalkeeper, and I said, why are you recruiting that guy? And he said, well, because he's the under-17 youth national team keeper. And I said, but he's not the best keeper. You know, I think there's better keepers out there that haven't gotten a look. And it was like his eyes opened up, and eventually he, he recruited a guy that I had seen and the guy eventually went on to play in the pros and actually I think even got a national team cap. So for me, it was always one of the biggest joys was to be able to find players who hadn't already made it and help them to try and make it. And so what you were looking for is you're looking, I mean, talent was important, but I was looking for character and desire and hunger. And I was looking for guys who wanted to uh, uh, work hard to achieve to get that next level that maybe thought they'd been overlooked or, uh, or you know, maybe just hadn't been seen for one reason or another. And, and those were players that gave me a lot of joy, whether they were a Kobe Jones, uh, you know, that came in and, and accomplished that, whether it was a, a guy like Josh Keller who walked on to our program at UCLA, eventually became our team captain and played six years in the pros. Uh, you know, finding, finding guys like that and, and helping them get to that level uh, was... Uh, was something that was was exciting to me, but it was character that was the most important thing. You know, finding guys who you knew knew were driven and and just you know I know you can cut this down or whatever afterwards, but just a little short story is I knew a lot of coaches when I was a college coach. They would go to high school games and tournaments, and they would watch a guy in an early game in the tournament, and that would be it. And I would always be the guy who would go back to the finals. And I remember one player that I recruited 
who his team was in the finals and the, his teammate was, you know, the all all league guy, all area, all district player of the year, et cetera. But I recruited the other guy, and it was because five minutes into the championship game on a muddy field, uh, you didn't recognize that his uniform was still white because he had been all over the place, just all kinds of endeavor, and he was the guy I brought in. And uh, he ended up playing for me at UCLA, helped me win a national championship, and ended up playing seven years in the pros, uh, you know, and, and, and played for the World University team for the U.S., a guy by the name of Sam George. So, you know, finding that is, is what excites me as a coach, finding the guys that maybe haven't been discovered yet. That's great. Um, did you, you think your coaching style changed when you moved from college to the pros? Yeah, it changed a little bit uh, because, you, you know, you're dealing with professional players and so you're not going to be maybe at times as, uh, I don't know if in your face is the right way to say it, but maybe you're not going to be as direct or as loud sometimes in your approach on the training field. Uh, because these are guys who, you know, they're married, they've got kids of their own, Some, you know, times they're, you know, their guys are in the late 20s, early 30s, they've been through a lot of life experiences and so forth, and, and you know, I've always tried to, at the pro level, maybe, you always respected your players, even at the collegiate level, I was respected guys, but maybe you treat them a little bit more like peers at certain times. I mean, at the end of the day, they need to know that I'm the coach and, and they're playing for me. But uh, but also to to sort of talk to them and and there's still times where where I'll have uh, I'll have a very uh, expressive uh, and uh, maybe loud uh, halftime or post game talk with them uh, but those are the rarity and not the normalcy and uh, maybe that happened a little more often on the collegiate level but yeah you do change a little bit you step back a little bit more. Uh, the whole coaching dynamic has changed over the years with the introduction of fitness coaches, specialty coaches as goalkeeper coaches. All that has changed a, a lot as well. But you sort of step back a little bit and try and treat them more like peers and uh, on a more adult level, and, and you explain maybe a little bit more than, than you do with a, a young 18-year-old. You know, one of the great things about sports is the opportunity for life lessons. We talk about responsible coaches having two goals. First goal, winning on the scoreboard, and the second, teaching life lessons to your players through soccer. Um, talk about life lessons you've learned as an athlete, um, what kind of lessons you try to uh, instill in your players at you know, all levels. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, the biggest life lesson for me is when you're involved in a team sport is the ability to work within a group. And, uh, you know, because whatever you do in life, you know, and I, for a, a part of my life, I worked as, as a certified public accountant in one of the big eight firms, and, and you're always working in a group there as well. So your ability to be able to work with the group to, uh, you know, to use the different talents that are available within that group uh, is something that, uh, that is very prominent in, in the workplace and also is very prominent when you're looking at a team sport. And it's also very important if you're dealing with your life at home and a family and a wife and kids and everybody brings a little different personality to the table. Uh, so, so working within a group is definitely a very important life lesson. Uh, you know, another important life lesson is, is uh, it sort of ties into that, but is, is just respecting 
the people that you're with, you know, uh, and and realizing that they they have goals and ambitions as well, and you know, so now maybe we need to talk and we need to make sure we get onto the same page. Or now, how can I help that individual achieve their goals? How can they help me achieve my goals? And uh, so, being able to respect individuals for what they do and communicate, uh, you know, is, is another really important life lesson. With that, you know, uh, what's the saying? Dial direct. Don't don't go through other people. Sometimes is important. And learning how to be able to communicate and and talk to your teammates and and talk to your superiors, which are the coaches on the team state, which are your, you know, your boss at, at a workplace. All of those become uh, important facets of just dealing with everyday life. You know, we have a concept called the emotional tank, like the gas tank in a car, and we encourage coaches to, to fill their players' emotional tanks rather than drain it. Uh, is that something, you know, apart from the language, is that something that you focus on? Yes, I mean, I, I think it gets done. I don't know if it's uh, necessarily a focus, you know, but there's times where, uh, you know, within that, I think within coaching, it's also a give and take. Uh, you know, if, if every day I come across the same way or I'm pushing the same things, uh, that's good because there's some consistency involved and you need that consistency but also you sort of lose their attention sometimes too uh, because, if, oh, here we go, it's the same thing, same, you know, same old, same old, and you lose their attention. So, you know, as I tell young coaches sometimes, you know, and I remember a coach calling me once and, and saying, well, I heard you did this before you guys went on to win a national championship. You kicked your team out of practice. And I said, yeah, I kicked my team out of practice because something happened. I was upset, and I kicked the whole team out of practice. He goes, well, that's what I think I need to do next year so, so we can win because we started off flat. And I said, I said, that's the first time I've kicked a team out in 13 years. You know, it's not something I walked out on the field and planned to do. You know, it was, a, it was an emotional reaction for sure, but it was a, a passionate and a true and an honest reaction. So, so from that standpoint, you know, going back to filling their emotional tank, there's things that you want to give them and tools you want to give them and help and aid that you want to give them and you want to be supportive and you want to be positive. But at some point, you know, sometimes, sometimes maybe you leave them hanging a little bit or maybe you put a negative thought there on, a, on the odd occasion uh, just to make them go back and rethink and, and, uh, and, and sort of scratch their heads a little bit and go, oof, I wonder where he came from there. And it makes them address the problem all over, the, all over again instead of becoming complacent in their approach. So, so yeah, we do try and constantly get them uh, uh, in support of things and be positive with them, but every once in a while, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll test them a little bit or we'll present to them uh, a situation or a statement that maybe is not what they expected uh, to see how their reaction is to that as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, you've coached some uh, some of the biggest stars ever to come out of U.S. soccer. Uh, you mentioned Josh Keller, Kobe Jones, Ale Alexi Lawless, Brad Friedel, Eric Winalda. Um, who, what, what player or players really stood out to you as leaders and, and why? You know, everybody is always a little bit different. You know, I mean, Alexi Lawless, 
had a lot of leadership, uh, you know, qualities and capabilities. And one of the reasons I brought him to the LA Galaxy uh, when I did was I just felt we needed just a little bit of something in the locker room, even more so than on the field. And and Alexi provided that. You know, he was the one guy. He always he always spoke in a very clear voice, and uh, you know that's what made him, I think, a good leader. He'd be the guy who. When guys were talking in the locker room or were unhappy about something, he would sit there and say, do you guys realize what you're doing? Do you realize you guys got the best job in the world? You know, would you rather be doing this or that? And he was one of those guys that always was able to put things in perspective that way, and I think that made him, that made him a, a good leader. Uh, Brad Friedel uh, was another guy who was an outstanding leader because of his dedication to his craft. Uh, you know, if he let in a goal and it was a shot that got underneath him in tight, and he wanted 50 of those shots the next practice. You know, he wanted to be a perfectionist. He wanted to make sure that he got that right. And, uh, you know, and so he, he, was, definitely, he was definitely a leader uh, in that regard. But as a young player, when he was at UCLA, I remember we were doing a practice, and he wasn't happy with the balls that were being served to him by the reserve goalkeeper and the goalkeeper coach, and he comes storming past me at midfield. I was facing the other way because I was coaching the other group of players. And I go, where are you going? He goes, hey, now they're hitting bad balls down there. I said, get back down there. You know, and I told my guys, hit them better balls. You know, make sure we get that done. But mm-hmm. it's perfectionism. And, but at a young guy, I have to say, no, you've got to be respectful to your guys. And you're going to continue to work. You can't just choose as a, as a 19-year-old, 18-year-old freshman to, to decide you're going to do it how you want to do it. At this stage, you can do that later. Maybe as a 42-year-old goalkeeper, you can do it now. But he's uh, he had tremendous leadership, and and everybody you know everybody brings you know unique things, unique challenges. Paul Calagiri was a a player who who led by by ability, uh, but you know I know as a coach, I spent a lot of time with him and I talked to him an awful lot. Uh, you know, so, you know, everybody brings it sometimes through their personality. Sometimes they bring it through their, their work ethic on the field uh, as, to, as to leadership. And sometimes they bring it by, by their performance. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that's very consistent about all of them is there's a tremendous drive uh, to succeed. You know, they want to win. I mean, the, the discussions at practice are unbelievable. About, was that ball out of bounds? Was it in? Was it not? And you just got to overrule them sometimes. But there's a tremendous drive to be successful uh, and to succeed and to be good and to win every day out. And, and that's what helps take them to the level they get to. That's great. You know, we, we talk about honoring the game and respecting um, officials what advice can you give coaches and parents uh, at the youth level to help them keep their cool when uh, an official makes what they think is a bad call? Uh, the best example I can give you is I remember sitting in the stands <coughs> once with a coaching colleague of mine, and, uh, and the coach was making the substitution. And I was a young coach at the time, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the substitution, and I'm like, why is he doing that? God, I don't know. I think that's a bad substitution. And, we, you know, we've all sat in the stands and done that. And, and, and this friend of mine turned to me and he goes, now do you think the coach is sitting on the bench saying, I'm going to make this substitutions. That'll throw everybody for a loop. They won't be able to figure this one out. He's making that because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, 
He'll either be successful with that decision or he won't be. But at the time he made that decision, he's he's making a decision that he thinks is the right decision. And I, since then, I've always carried that with me. And so that official who you think maybe has made a bad call, when he made that call, he thought he was making the right call. He wasn't making a bad call to punish your team. He wasn't making a bad call to see if he could draw a reaction from you. You know, he wasn't, uh, if it's a coach, he wasn't uh, employing a certain tactic because he knew it would drive you crazy. He did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. And when you put it in that perspective, then it makes it easier to be calmed down and you can say, okay, he thought it was the right thing. I didn't, but, you know, it's not like he's doing it on purpose or he's trying to hurt anybody. That's just the way it is. And at the end of the day, uh, a good official is one who makes the right call more often than the wrong one, and a bad official is one who does the opposite, just like a good coach and a bad coach. But every time anybody makes a decision, they're making a decision because they think it's the right decision to make at that moment. And if you look at it that way, it maybe helps you calm down. Yeah. You know, your son, Kurt, is one of your assistant coaches with the Sounders. Um, did you coach him in soccer when he was growing up? Yeah, I only I only really coached him one year. Um, you know, I helped out a little bit with his AYSO team when he was there, and and then afterwards, years later, he was coaching in club, and he was not uh, he was playing in club, and he was not old enough to drive, and so he asked me to help coach his team one year because he didn't think the team was going to be very good, and and I was coaching the under twenties at the time, and uh, so I said, okay, you know, I'll come in and I'll. I'll help a little bit, and we actually we actually had a good run, and uh, we lost in the state cup final. But uh, uh, you know that was the only time. I always tried avoiding. I tried to avoid coaching my own kids, and maybe uh, it was a twofold reason, really. One was I coached my brother, who's ten years younger, and I coached my brother, uh, you know, one year when he was six, but then I coached him again when he was. Uh, uh, 11 until he was about uh, 14, and then I coached him in college. And so I sort of had that experience of maybe coaching uh, my own child because of even though he was my brother. And so I, I just didn't want to coach my own kids. I wanted them to enjoy the experience. By that time, I had uh, I was more recognizable as uh, as a person maybe and as a coach in Southern California, so I didn't want to put that pressure on them. Uh, I remember my youngest son once they played a game, and I'm just watching the game, and I was coaching the Galaxy at the time, and, you know, the other team won, and they came over and celebrated in front of me like they just beat the L.A. Galaxy. And, uh, you know, I said, man, if I was a coach of his team, how much worse would it have been? Uh, so, you know, I, I've tried to avoid that, and I know in AYSO a lot of times we do coach our own child, uh, and and I think you can do that. You can you can establish <clears throat> the same parameters. But what happens sometimes? One of two things sometimes happens when you coach your own kid is is you're either harder on them than you are on your other players, or sometimes you're softer on them than you are on the other players. And uh, you know the both of those are not necessarily the best. And I know I would have been the kind of person I would have been harder on my own kids than I would have been on the other players, and I didn't want to do that to them. But that's a personal choice. It must have been uh, really felt really good, a nice compliment for your son to ask you to to coach his team. No, it was a great compliment, and and 
it was a lot of fun. You know, we had a lot of fun, and and it was a it was a good year. And it was actually I got together with uh, uh, one of my original teammates on the '64 team, Danny Kay, and uh, his son uh, came down and played on uh, on our team, and uh, brought a couple other players with him. So we sort of built the team a little bit. Uh, and so it was actually he and I. Uh, you know, he would he would jump in when I couldn't coach. There was two XAYSO guys doing it, but uh, it was a, it was a compliment when he asked me, and we had a we had a good year with it, and it was an enjoyable experience for me. Uh, and uh, you know, but it was something that you know at the end, you know, I wanted them not to be. Uh, it had to do more with me. I didn't want them to be in Ziggy's shadow. Per se, because I was known at that point. I think if I would have just been a father, uh, you know, working in the accounting firm uh, like I was before, I would have probably chosen to coach my kids all the way through. But uh, you know, being in the position I was in, uh, that was probably part of the reason I chose not to. What's it like having Kurt as your assistant now? <clears throat> uh, watching me at a younger age. Wow. <laughs> like. Uh, He's he's got strong opinions. Um, I know I had strong opinions. Uh, he's uh, he's far more intelligent than I am. Uh, definitely more computer savvy <laughs> than I am. Um, you know, and, but he has a great eye for players. Uh, I trust his his eye for players completely. He's in charge of our of of our scouting. Uh, and he's always finding us young players and in charge of what we do with college players, etc. Um, you know, so it, it's been it's been great. You know, uh, we try and keep uh, work separate from personal um, as much. And and at work, you know, he he doesn't call me dad. He calls me Ziggy. And you know, and and so you know, we try and keep that relationship different uh, a little bit. But it's it's been a great pleasure because he's uh, he's uh, bright. He's hardworking. He's got good eyes. He's a good coach. Uh, he's had success when he's coached on his own at the youth level and at the at the collegiate level as an assistant as well. And uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very, very proud to be working with him. So, a couple, a couple more questions, Ziggy. Um, this is fantastic. Uh, if you were, if you were a youth coach or a high school coach, how would you want a parent of one of your players to handle? Uh, if they had a problem with you or an issue with the way you were coaching, how would you want them to handle that? I would want them to to be able to come and talk to me about it, uh, but away from away from the uh, the training ground or the game field. You know, I wouldn't want it to be a situation where it occurred right before or after training. You know, right before or after a game where where everybody's around. You know, to see. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know <clears throat> with my youngest son, he ended up playing for a very, very good team, uh, and he was uh, 10 at the time. And they were playing in a tournament, and, and I felt he really should be getting into some games, and he wasn't getting into some games. And, and I felt I needed to go talk to the coach, even though, you know, he was sort of okay with it. And, and I waited, you know, I waited. Uh, you know, there was a game in the morning. There wasn't a game until late in the afternoon. And uh, there was a, a situation where I saw the coach, and it was um, two or three hours after the one game and an hour and two hours before the other game. And I just went over and I talked to him. And I said, look, you know, I don't have a problem if, 
if you don't think he's good enough, that's fine. Just just tell me, you know, and, and then I'll talk to him and, you know, if maybe we need to find another team or he needs to go play someplace else at, at that stage. Uh, or, you know, if he's happy, you know, then, you know, I, you know I'm fine with that too. But, uh, you know, just want to have a feeling or what do you think he needs to work on uh, per se, and, and Jen just let me know. And, you know, the coach said, you know, the coach was good because he said to me, look, I think he's behind the other guys in this in this area right now, but I do think he's getting better. I would hate to see him leave the team because I think he can improve in those areas, and uh, it's just right now he's behind them a little bit, you know, physically in one aspect and, and just his thinking process the other. And we talked about it, and I talked to Kyle, and, and he said, no, I'm happy. I think I'm learning. And he stayed. And, you know, five months later, he was starting every game. Uh, you know, but I think talking to the coach directly is the best way. You, you know, what ends up happening sometimes is when parents are unhappy about what's going on, they'll find other unhappy parents to talk to, and it'll become a little click. And you sort of, uh, you know, you sort of cheer each other up in your unhappiness. And, uh, and you know, but you never have dialed direct, like I said earlier, and you've never talked to that coach and you don't know what he's thinking. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, that then makes it difficult to, uh, to improve upon the situation because you're not communicating with the people involved. So I would want, you know, a parent to, to be direct, to talk to me, but do it away, away from the immediate game uh, so you're not dealing with that immediate pressure. Yeah, that's great. Last last question. Um, is there anything you wished, that, anything you know about coaching now you wished you had known when you first started coaching at UCLA? No, oh, a hundred things. <laughs> I thought when I became head coach at UCLA, I thought I knew everything. And I quickly learned that I knew nothing. Um, and so, you know, I mean, every year you become better. And I think one of the things that happens is there's sort of a calm that comes over you a little bit. Um, you know, I was fortunate that, you know, I won my first championship at UCLA. Uh, you know, I was I was only 32 at the time, uh, which actually is, is fairly young to win a national championship. When you look at great coaches like a John Wooden, you know, I think John Wooden was already uh, well in, you know, was in his mid-50s before he won his first national championship. And, uh, and he'd been coaching a lot of years before then. And you look at a lot of the other guys, they get into their 40s or, you know, late 40s or 50s before they actually win. Uh, Jim Boeing is another example at Syracuse. Uh, you know, Dean Smith took him a while, you know, to win one in North Carolina, I think. Uh, and, and a big part of that is because there's sort of a, a calm. You, you are better able to identify... Uh, the big stuff and the small stuff, what you should be sweating about and what you should maybe not be not be losing so much sleep over. And as a young coach, sometimes you're losing sleep over everything. I mean, don't get me wrong, details are very important in coaching and, and being able to know what's going on in all facets is still very important to me as a coach. But it's not as important to me to sometimes react to those things right away. You sort of sit back a little bit, you think about it, a little bit more before you react, and that patience, uh, I think, is something that could have served me well maybe earlier as a younger coach. So when something happened, I'm not going to go smashing balls into the goal, you know, because and you know, everybody can see that I was upset. Uh, you know, I'm going to take maybe a more uh, uh, 
cerebral uh, uh, answer to it and and do it in a better way that will help my team become better quicker and and learn from it quicker. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably one of the biggest things. Ziggy, this has been um, just a fantastic uh, interview, and it's going to be a great resource for, for people uh, involved with youth sports and the Responsible Sports uh, program. So just want to thank you for taking your time and uh, sharing your extensive wisdom with uh, the coaches, parents, and athletes who are going to be listening to this. Thank you. Thanks, no, no Thanks very much. Go AYSO. To learn more about Responsible Sports, including downloading valuable tools on how to become a responsible coach like Ziggy Schmid, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.